uh, uh, Jean Rimas. I am professor of neurology at Paris Descartes University in Paris and head of the department and stroke unit at Saint Anne Hospital in in Paris. So, what is atrial fibrillation? Well, atrial uh, fibrillation is um, the most common cardiac arrhythmia affecting about five percent of people over the age of uh, sixty years and almost 10% of those over the age of uh, 80 years. Well, normally, uh, regular electrical impulses are generated by the spinal atrial uh, node and propagated to the ventricles. But in atrial fibrillation, these organized electrical impulses are producing the atria and uh, adjacent parts of the pulmonary veins, leading to irregular conduction of impulses to the ventricles, which defines uh, atrial fibrillation. So what are the dangers of atrial fibrillation for patients? Well, the, the main complication of uh, atrial fibrillation is stroke. Uh, atrial fibrillation also increases the risk of death, uh, cardiac failure and, and dementia, but uh, uh, let's focus on, on, on stroke. Atrial fibrillation predisposes to the formation of a thrombus in the heart through different mechanisms involving in particular phases in a poorly uh, contractile left atrium. The thrombus can migrate to cerebral circulation, include a cerebral artery and post-stroke. In fact, uh, atrial fibrillation is a strong risk factor for stroke, increasing its risk by a factor of five. And this cardiac uh, disorder is very uh, important for the stroke neurologists because it accounts for 16 to 20% of all strokes. And this proportion increases with age, reaching about 45% in people over 80 years of age. A particularity of this uh, uh, atrial fibrillation related stroke is they tend to be especially uh, severe and disabling with high risk of early mortality, which is double, and recurrence rates compared to stroke occurring in patients with no atrial fibrillation. Well, the good news is that many strokes in people with atrial fibrillation can be prevented by oral anticoagulants. So vitamin K antagonists have been the reference standard for prevention of stroke during AF. What are the advantages and disadvantages of the new oral anticoagulants compared to the old oral anticoags? Oh, yes. Uh, vitamin K antagonists are, you know, highly effective, reducing uh, the occurrence of stroke by two-thirds when compared with uh, a placebo. And uh, VKs are also much more effective than antiplatelet uh, therapy with either aspirin alone or the association of aspirin and clopidogrel. Unfortunately, uh, vitamin K antagonists uh, have several well-known limitations that make it difficult to use in practice. Maintaining patients within the uh, narrow therapeutic uh, range of uh, INR of 2 to 3 is difficult and requires uh, frequent uh, monitoring. In addition, patients and, uh, and doctors are also, have also concerns over the risk of bleeding uh, associated with uh, its use. Uh, in, for example, in recent randomized clinical trial of neuron anticoagulant versus warfarin, the annual risk of major bleeding was about 3% in patients treated with warfarin. And the most feared uh, complication of vitamin K antagonists 
is intracranial bleeding occurring in up to 1% on patients treated with warfarin. Well, as a consequence of this uh, limitation, up to uh, 50% of patients eligible for vitamin K antagonists do not receive it. And furthermore, patients receiving vitamin K antagonists only spend half the time within this uh, narrow therapeutic range. This is the reason why new rural anticoagulants that uh, primarily target either thrombin or factor 10A have been developed as alternative to warfarin. These new uh, oral anticoagulants have several advantages over vitamin K antagonists. They are at least as effective as vitamin K antagonists to prevent stroke, and they are as safe or safer than vitamin K antagonists in terms of major bleedings or very serious bleeding. In particular, all significantly uh, reduce the risk of intracranial bleeding. There is no need for uh, routine blood vessel monitoring because of predictable anticoagulant defect at fixed dose, no dietary recursions, no limited, uh, there are limited drug uh, restrictions, in fact, currently known uh, drug restrictions because we don't know everything about the, this uh, interaction, uh, and no need for bridging because of rapid onset and offset of action. They are more convenient for patients, for the physician, and they have a potential, and this is quite important, a potential for greater use. But the newer anticoagulants also have some uh, drawbacks. Drug activity of the newer, newer agents cannot currently be assessed in routine clinical practice, which, for example, complicates the use of thrombolysis because of the short half-life poor compliance may affect efficacy more than vitamin K antagonists. There is no antidote uh, currently available. They, they are they, somehow in development, but today they are not available. And uh, we have limited experience in uh, real life, in particular with regard to compliance. So how soon after a stroke can we start with these new anticoagulants? By analogy to recommendation for vitamin K antagonists, initiation of anticoagulation after ischemic stroke depends on infarct size on one side and risk of new embolic strokes on the other side. Or anticoagulation should generally be initiated within one to two weeks after stroke onset. Earlier anticoagulation can be considered for patients at low risk of bleeding uh, complication, in particular those with a small infarct or those with a, a GI. And uh, uh, on, on, on the other hand, delaying anticoagulation should be considered for patients at high risk of hemorrhagic complications, that is to say those with extensive infarct burden or evidence of significant hemorrhagic transformation on brain imaging. If newer anticoagulants are used instead of uh, vitamin K antagonists, a quicker onset of action should be uh, should be considered in this uh, in, in this uh, the decision the time of starting uh, the, the, the oral anticoagulation. So you've been talking about the bleeding. How do we manage it? Well, this is uh, of course an issue because uh, we have no specific uh, antidote for uh, new oral anticoagulants at, at this moment. Development for for those is ongoing and. Well, as we have no specific antidote, the, the first treatment strategy is, of course, discontinuation of the drug and supportive uh, 
therapy. But, well, of course, it depends on the severity of the, the bleeding. For, for mild bleeding, well, you just have to delay or discontinue next dose and uh, reconsider uh, concomitant uh, uh, medication, for example. If the bleeding is moderate to, to severe, uh, we, have, we have to use supportive measures uh, such as mechanical complication, uh, compression, sorry, uh, surgical or endovascular hemostasis, uh, fluid replacement, uh, uh, red blood cell substitution if needed, and, uh, and so on. And uh, if the bleeding is life-threatening, such as infracranial hemorrhage or infracranial hemorrhage, we have to consider uh, prothrombin complex concentrates uh, or activated prothrombin complex concentrates uh, in addition to the previous uh, measures. So how do we manage significant carotid stenosis in stroke patients when we're using these novel anticoagulants in a clinical setting? Well, for it's quite simple. I think in, in this patient carotene adduction if indicated has to be uh, has to be done, of course. And uh, if revascular research is needed, a carotinoductorectomy and not stenting is recommended in order to avoid triple therapy, which is associated with considerable increased bleeding. I think this is the main recommendation. So are there reliable lab parameters for safe thrombolysis in acute recurrent stroke? Oh, it's a very complicated issue. And, uh, well, quantitative tests for direct thrombin inhibitors and uh, factor 10A uh, inhibitors do exist, but they may not yet be uh, routinely available in, in most uh, hospitals. Well, we have global tests, just as the activated uh, peripheral uh, thromboplastin time for Dabigatran and the protromine time for uh, Rivaroxaban and likely other factor 10A inhibitors uh, that may provide a uh, uh, a qualitative assessment of the presence or absence of these drugs. But uh, these tests, uh, global tests, are, are not uh, sensitive uh, for uh, the quantitative assessment of the neural anticoagulants. So a, a prudent strategy is to, is to use fibronautic agents only if specific tests for uh, individual uh, neural anticoagulants or failing this, global tests are normal. Well, if appropriate coagulation tests are not uh, available or are abnormal, mechanical organization of occluded vessels may be uh, considered as an alternative treatment option, but so far no prospective data exists in this regard. So despite their current drawbacks, do you consider that new oral anticoagulants constitute a real progress compared to the, um, the NOAC? Oh yes, I think the, the, the availability of neural anticoagulants that are easier to use and have a bit better risk benefit profile is a significant advance in the treatment of actual fibrillation. Uh, they will hopefully uh, contribute to close the, the gap between uh, the number of patients who should receive oral anticoagulant therapy and those who actually receive it. Well, Vitamin K uh, therapy is highly effective to prevent uh, atrial fibrillation uh, stroke, uh, but has uh, several limitations that make it difficult to use in practice. You've just been listening to a podcast interview with Jean-Louis Mar for the World Stroke Academy. 
The World Stroke Academy is the academic arm of the World Stroke Organisation. Please consider becoming a member.